first reading is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. John 3, 1-21 Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my set saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you people, you do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the man, Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light 
because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, this morning open our eyes that we might see, unblock our ears that we might hear, soften our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. On so many levels, it's really good to be here this morning and good to be sitting alongside Clive. Clive uh, has been a great encouragement to me for the last 13, 14 years, often with a wry smile on his face, sometimes challenging, often encouraging. And uh, it's great to be here and uh, great to be in the midst of a church that has taken seriously what it means to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share it in word and in deed and to see people transformed. And 18 of you from an amazing array of stories, everyone unique, are here to be baptized, confirmed, and to reaffirm your baptismal vows this morning. The Christian faith is always personal. There comes a moment in all of our lives when curiosity leads to inquiry. And if we're open to it, I believe that inquiry learns to be convinced of what is true. And then the crisis comes. Are you going to follow or not? But God will meet us if we're curious. I'm absolutely convinced that God is far more able to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, than we are to find him. And that's the confidence we have as followers of Jesus Christ. That it's not my clever words or Clive's very clever words. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And we have nothing to say, nothing to commend from our own wisdom. There are no stories to tell that will convince you of what is true, but we do have God's Word. And as we open it and read it, I believe we begin to be irres- it becomes irresistible that this is about Jesus. And this isn't an historical figure from 2,000 years ago. This is God meeting us today on the 6th of December. Is it the 5th? 5th of December. 6th, it is the 6th. 6th of December, 2015 in Eastrop. It's always personal, but I'm convinced that it isn't private. And the English love to make their religious thoughts private. You know, in good English society, you didn't talk about politics at the dining table and you didn't talk about your faith. I think that's wrong. Because the Christian faith is always personal, but it's never private. Because if it is true, it begins to change who you are. It changes your story. And it changes the world around you. Because you begin to live by a different story. You begin to live by different values. So much so, that it's as though you were born again. You see things in completely different ways. And I want to explore for a few minutes with you John chapter 3. Because I think this is the story 
of one man's curiosity. And I want to suggest it leads to commitment and a very surprising commitment. It will help you to have the reading open because I will refer particularly to three verses in it. And the first one, and I just want to do this by way of background, is verse 14. It looks a bit strange in the middle of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that Jesus should say, as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Many of you will know that that refers to an incident in the history of the people of God. You know the story of Moses, the exodus of freedom, the longings to be a people in their own place under God. And in dramatic moments and in dramatic incidents, the people of God, the Israelites, are taken out of slavery in Egypt. They get to the Red Sea, it looks like they're going to drown, and in a dramatic act of God, the waters pass and Moses leads them across the sea to freedom, towards their own land. And time and again, God provides for them. He provides the way that they can see the next step of the journey. He provides them food when they're hungry. He provides them a rule of life so that they can order their lives in a way that pleases a holy God. But time and again, they forget that story and they start to live by their own story again. And there's a terrible incident when they so grumble against God, it says they forgot what God had done for them. And they, they, were, they were attacked by a group of poisonous group. What do you call a number of snakes? <laughs> a brood. Thank you. Oh, we got some. Thank you. A brood of snakes. And people started to die in the camp. And as they became desperate, as sometimes happens, they cried out to God. They repented. They said, we've forgotten the very heart of who we are. And Moses put up a huge image of a snake. This is what this refers to. And as they repented, he said, well, if you look to this snake, you will get healed. And it's a, it's a slightly strange story, isn't it? But it, as they look at the snake, they're reminded of what it was at the very heart of their disobedience. And they discovered God in those moments made them well, healed them. I want you just to store that for a moment because in what will seem like 20 minutes, uh, in a few minutes' time, I will uh, come back to that. And I want to come back to that because I think in this story... There is a sort of, that, that is where the journey takes us. So now the beginning of the chapter. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a respected man. Was he the leader of Basie Stoke and Dean District Council? Was he the high sheriff? Was he the MP? It was all of that, wasn't it? He was known as part of the ruling council. But what was lovely about Nicodemus is he was a man of integrity. He was a man who was honest, who'd lo- learnt about the things of God. He was probably very generous. You probably knew that if you went to see Nicodemus, you'd get good advice. If you were in need, he'd probably help you. And his counsel was sought by many. He was well-educated. He'd been to Cornhill. He knew it. He was well-regarded. 
But something troubled him about this carpenter turned teacher. Something intrigued him, the stories he heard about him, the things he'd heard that Jesus had done. But he goes at night, probably because he's a bit embarrassed, doesn't quite want to be seen in this conversation. But it's not disrespectful. He goes and calls him teacher, rabbi. He, the educated one, calls the carpenter, rabbi, teacher. And he starts a conversation and begins to discover that there's a whole way of looking at life and truth and God that he hasn't seen. And Jesus takes him through that conversation. And two phrases that Jesus uses with Nicodemus, and these are the two I'd like you to remember. The first, he says, well, it's not in this order, but the first of all I want you to remember is this. The wind blows where it will. You neither know where it's coming from nor where it's going to. Such it is of those born of the Spirit of God. There's something unpredictable about where you're going to go in your journey with God. It's good. It's for your very best. It's a place without fear. But there's something we can't tell. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, encouraging them in their prayer life, says, God is able to do through you more than you can ask or imagine. And today, for 18 of you, maybe for all of you, I want you to glimpse that, that God is able to use you beyond your asking or your imagining. The wind of the Spirit blows where it will. You neither know where it's coming from nor where it's going to. Such it is of those born of the Spirit of God. Now, what I like to do at a confirmation is ask you, the 18 of you, not the 300 of you, the 18, will you email me a year from now? They've not done, no one's done it yet. I'm just a year in from my first confirmation. I'm waiting. Email me and just give me a sentence a year from now about what God has done. And then five years from now, will you do it again? But of course, you who've come as guests, I hope you're now intrigued. Don't put them under pressure, but be curious about what God is going to do. How do you begin to discover the Lord change your understanding of who he is, of who you are, of what makes you worth everything, and how you see other people? What happens to your conversation? What happens to your ambitions? What happens to your money? What happens to your use of time? I'm excited, and I want to hear the stories. I'm looking forward to hearing the stories. And I'm going to come back in a minute to what I think happened to Nicodemus. Because so dramatic is the change if we live our lives in the light of God's story, that it changes everything. You see, I think there's a tremendous temptation for us in Western culture. I think it's there in the church. We live our lives how we want to live them. Even as Christians, we self-reference what we do. And then we call to God, rather like the people of God in the desert, when we're in trouble, or when it's Sunday morning, or when we have a quiet time. And we ask of the Lord to help us in our life. When actually the Christian message is so radical that it says, you know, I'm going to live my life in the light of his. 
I'm going to seek that my values are his values. I'm going to seek that, he, that my view of the town I live in is his view. My view of the world, I want to be his view. And that self-referencing, that asking of God to help us, becomes instead a joyful joining in with what he's doing. Some of it will cost you everything. Some of it will be a sacrifice beyond your wildest expectation. But there will be joy. Helen and I have spent the last 18 months alongside a woman who became a Christian. I baptized her. Had a terrible, very sad history. Some of us have had similar stories. She got a meningitis infection and she became paralyzed just over a year ago. And for 14 months, Helen visited her in hospital nearly every week. And we prayed and we got other people to pray. And as you pray, what are you praying? You're praying, Lord, can she walk again? Lord, can she be the young mother and take part in all the life that we so enjoy and so seems self-evidently what it's all about? She's still not walking now. She is out of hospital. But there's a light in her eyes. And she said something to Helen two or three weeks ago that I can't get out of my mind. She said, no, I need this because God is healing me from the inside out. Now that just seems irrational, doesn't it? Someone who is physically so ill and yet can say, God is healing me from the inside out. Supper last night with another young woman who was abused as a child. And when she became a Christian at university, the first thing she did, he wasn't the abuser actually, but she went to the father who'd left at, when she was six years old and hadn't seen him since she was eight. And she walked, uh, she walked to his house and began to make contact with the father who'd abandoned her so many years ago. As he was dying a few years later, and she was sitting by his bed, she said to him, for the first time in her life, Father, I love you. And he looked back in her eyes, and, she, and he said to her, I love you. And she felt in that moment, she understood the gospel in a new way an unexpected and an undeserved expression of love. I believe this message of Jesus Christ changes everything. As a young teacher 30 years ago, I went back to where I had grown up, went back to East Africa to teach in a school. And with great nervousness, early one morning, half past six in the morning, you went out in this semi-desert environment and so we started teaching before seven and we finished at one before it got too hot and at half past six in the morning just as the sun was coming up we sang the Kenyan national anthem we swore allegiance to the president of Kenya and with great nervousness I stood forward and said I want to read Mark's gospel with you 160 students 
stood in front, a young English teacher. I said, I'm going to read chapter one outside my house at four o'clock this afternoon. Anyone who'd like to read Mark with me, will you come? Four o'clock in the afternoon, 159 out of 160 students were sat outside the garden. And so started an exploration, chapter after chapter. I didn't really know what I was doing. I sort of thought this is what I ought to do. Just before Christmas, someone sent us a huge gift. It was in that era, some of you will remember it, of Band-Aid, of the famine in the Horn of Africa. And they sent a huge gift, and a lot of it went on food. But there was enough money to hire vehicles to go to a Scripps Union camp. And so another morning, I stood and said... And these are young men and women who'd never travelled more than 10, 15 miles from where they were born. Who none, I think almost none of them were the children of educated men or women. And I said, if you'd, anyone like to go to Mombasa? Anyone like to go to the, to the coast? Uh, to a Scripps Union camp this Christmas holiday? Uh, would you sign up? 159 out of 160 signed the list and went for a week to a Scripps Union camp. Almost all of them came back telling us that they had met with Jesus Christ on the beach. One of them came to my consecration as bishop in Winchester Cathedral, 30 years, nearly 28 years later. And as I talked after the service with him, he told me story after story of the men and women who'd been on that beach. And I said, is this normal that you still know the people you're at the secondary school with? David, he said, we became Christians on that beach. Juma is the captain of the Presidential Guard for the President of Kenya. Joseph is the chairman of Kenya Commercial Bank. David is a high court judge. And they follow Jesus Christ, he said. And it all happened when we met Jesus. It changed our lives. I think Mark's Gospel, I think an inquiry course about the things of faith is vital. And some of you reading your stories, that's how you came to faith, how you became convinced. I would hope that not a single person in this room today will miss the opportunity of exploring this further. Clive is going to invite you to a course in January. I hope that he, you, so many come that he can't cope. No matter how long you've been coming to this church, no long, matter how long you've been a Christian, the world needs us to be those who've encountered Jesus Christ. Not just once many years ago, but again and again. So that it begins to change our story and change the way we live. So what happened to Nicodemus? I'm, does it feel like 20 minutes? Have I got two, le two minutes left? Two or three more minutes. What happened to Nicodemus? What happened to him? He only appears once more in the Gospels. In chapter 19 of John, we hear him again. And do you know how the gospel has ended? Half the gospel story is three years, and the other half is one week. And as it turns, as the story turns, it's that intentional journey to Jerusalem that becomes the focus. And Jesus, with his diminishing band of followers, the thousands who had gathered to listen to every word in Galilee, are now down to a handful. But as he comes into Jerusalem, the city goes wild and shouts, Hosanna, 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 the King of David. But four or five days later, they are shouting just as loudly, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, a frightened man, 
Things are out of control. His tenure as the governor is under threat. And with a, with a nonsense of a trial, judge after judge, they desperately try to find Jesus guilty. And his closest friends say, I'll never leave you, Jesus. Peter says, they, they'll all run, but I'll take my sword. I'll, I'll die by your side. And a few hours later, even Peter is saying, I never knew him. And they took him, and on a charge of blasphemy, they executed him in the place of shame outside the city wall. And as he's hammered to a cross, we're told everyone deserted him. Was it all over? Has the greatest story in the history of the human race ended in nothing? They've all run, and maybe after an hour or so, a few women and John come and stand at the foot of the cross. And he dies, and darkness covers the earth. Now, Pilate, this bit isn't in the Bible, this bit is my imagination. Pilate that night, I think he heaved a sigh of relief. The troublemaker is dealt with. The turmoil is over. And he pours himself a decent glass of port and a second glass of Madeira. And he's had a hot bath and he's put on his robes. This is all my imagination. And he thinks, my trouble is over. When? There's a knock on his door. This is in the Bible. There's a knock on the door. And to his horror, there are two men standing outside the door. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Two of the most respected, influential men in the city. And if he thinks his problems are over, they're just about to start again. Because they say, Pilate, can we take the body down? Can we bury Jesus' body? And they walk to the place of the crucifixion. And they stand at the foot of the cross. Did, jo did Nicodemus recall those words of Jesus about the Son of Man being lifted up? I don't know. Certainly we can. He carried 35 kilograms of spices and perfume. He and Joseph took the body of Jesus down from the cross. They washed his body and they put perfume and ointment on his body and they laid the body of Jesus in the tomb. And what is astonishing is that no Jewish man would ever do that. It was anathema for a Jewish leader, a male leader, to handle a dead body. So what has happened to Nicodemus? That he can put all of that to one side in this act of devotion and handle the dead body of Jesus. He laid the body in the tomb. And the very heart of our Christian faith and hope is, of course, that although Nicodemus was involved in that part of the story, it was not the end. Because the end on the Sunday morning, the stone was rolled away. And as the women came to finish the job that Nicodemus had started, they met Jesus risen in the garden.
and countless millions of men and women in their Christian journey since have had that experience. We've met him. He's alive. We have a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it's coming from nor where it's going to. Such it is of those born of the Spirit of God. Nicodemus, the religious leader, the, the respected ruler of the council, the educated, generous man, the man who worked for the common good, all that was put aside in this brave public act in front of the governor of Jerusalem. I want his body. I'll go and do what no Jewish man would ever do. What's going to be your journey and what's going to be mine? Ollie and Victoria, Izzy, Samantha, Scott, Vanessa, Lisa, Caitlin, Sarah, George, Phil, Kelsey, Gloria, Karen, Steve, Annabelle, Poppy, and Conair. And every one of us. Where's the Lord going to take us? What's our testimony? What's our story going to be? I'm looking forward to hearing the stories. Shall we stand? And just in a moment of quiet, before I baptize and confirm our candidates, have you come in curiosity like Nicodemus? Have you been surprised? by who Jesus is? Are you living your story in the light of his? The one who died for you and for me on that cross. But the story never ended there. It ended on the Sunday morning. And as we meet in the name of the risen Lord, he's here with us. Shall I pray? Lord, as you rose again, you came out of the tomb and into the lives of your followers. So we thank you for the lives of the 18 candidates today who have met with you in so many different ways. And we pray this morning that as our hearts are softened towards you, we will receive you afresh. Lord, come by your Spirit. Help us to see you more clearly and so to follow more closely today and in the journey ahead. Amen.